but uh, God is going to get us through. Amen. Now, you're going to receive a knock on the door in a moment. Our ushers are going to be coming around collecting the tithe and the offering. Of course not, but remember, you can give online and, and send them in. And everything with the church continues to go on, even though you may not be here. So God is so good to let us experience something as dramatic as this. You say, I don't understand what you mean. Well, we've heard so much about what our forefathers experienced with World War II and the aftermath and the things that went on, and we only heard about some of those things. Factories turned into uh, building war machines and that. We're experiencing some trauma and some things in our own lives. And if you will keep the faith, it will only make you stronger. It will only benefit you if you will just keep your faith in God. I would like to direct your attention, if I may, to the word of the Lord. We're going to read a scripture, and then we're going to see what God is going to do. Now, I have prayed something. They say, ask big, right? So I have prayed this morning, last night and this morning, and I have the assurance that God's going to do this. We pray every Sunday for a move of God, a visitation of God in this room. Well, you're not in this room. So what we're feeling in this room, you're not feeling because you're not in this room. But I've asked the Lord, because he's a great and mighty God, to move everywhere that is watching this service, to move in every living room, to move if you're in an automobile, if you're on the other side of the world, for there to be a move of God. And I know there's going to be an anointing that's going to come upon you as the word of God is released in this service. Praise God. Genesis chapter 13 in verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. And everybody everywhere say amen. Those of you that are here, you may be seated. Those of you that are not here are already sitting down. I'm glad the Bible declares emphatically that they were sitting when they received the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Because the older I get, the more I sit. Thomas Paine was an English writer. He was an American revolutionary. He actually did not even arrive in America until 1774 uh, when the Revolutionary War was uh, beginning and, and getting ready to peak. And uh, he wrote some things that was a great benefit to the men and women of that hour to encourage them to pursue the liberty that they so long for. And he wrote these words. He said, these are times that try men's souls. You may not have known that they came from Thomas Paine, but I would venture to say that most every one of you have at least heard those words said before because we are familiar with them. But he was aware of the tremendous odds that were facing the colonists and the settlers. He understood the challenge of going up against uh, the 
British army with just a colonial army. And he realized, along with everybody else, that the possibility of failure was extremely high. And so along with the words that we have just read, they're followed by some other words. He said, these are times that try men's souls. But the ink continued to bleed from Thomas Paine's pen, and he wrote, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. There is no question that we are living in times that are trying the faith of God's people. And perhaps these times are going to stretch our faith beyond what we have experienced heretofore. But this is no time, ladies and gentlemen, for the summer soldier or the sunshine patriot to shrink from the service to Almighty God. We've testified from this pulpit in recent days that we need a breakthrough. We've talked about the need to be broken free from the status quo and from that which is comfortable. God may have heard our prayers. He must have been listening in on our heartbeat. But the moment that circumstances begin to rip us from those moorings wherein we feel safe, the faith of some automatically begins to wither and begins to fail. And so I am calling upon every apostolic believer, especially those that are under the sound of my voice, to exhibit concrete faith, courage, and confidence in God during these uncertain times. Don't you dare wither in front of your family. Don't you dare wither in front of your neighbors. But there's something that's unique about all of this, uh, about our current circumstances. Uh, and I hope that you will, uh, after this, recognize it, and then together we will take advantage of it because I believe it is going to afford us a great opportunity. Every believer goes through their personal stuff. They go through their personal storms, and they have to endure a lot of different things within their family structure or within them personally. And we know that there's no getting away from or escaping the trials and tribulations that are associated with the Christian faith. Every marriage, I must say it, every marriage will be tested to determine the tensile strength of the love and commitment between a husband and a wife. Every marriage, every family will go through times of perplexity and times of struggle and will experience times of loss. At any given time uh, in our church, right here in our family, there are people, believers, who are walking through the fire, but at the same time, there are other believers that are experiencing times of blessing and times of victory in their lives, but not today. Today, every single one of us, all of us, not only us, but the people of God, the body of Christ around the world is experiencing the same exact trial and the same tribulation. Of course, it's going to impact us differently. I understand that. We, we're all in somewhat different situations. But we're experiencing what we talked about early on when this thing broke. Hopefully it wouldn't become. It has become a global pandemic. But the thing that connects us is not our pain. 
The thing that binds us together is not our suffering, nor is it our loss. It is our God. It's God that brings us together and unites us as one. So the fact that we're all subjected simultaneously to the same disorder and the same potential or real loss as a result of COVID-19, we have a unique opportunity to come together as never before. And I know that you miss the uh, church gatherings, the church services, as much as Sister Bruce and I do. You miss the opportunities that we have to come together in corporate prayer. And let me just say to those that uh, are not a part of those corporate prayer meetings and a part of the church services, that it will bless you to become a part of these things when this uh, is lifted from us and we can gather again. But to be honest with you all, we're only together four or five hours a week. Now, I know that's a very important four or five hours. It's very, it's very vital to all of us and to the work of Christ and to the body of Christ. So our connection to one another has got to consist of more than a building and more than a, a room or more than a sanctuary or more than what we do just when we are together in this place. Our connection has got to go beyond that and become the result of the supernatural power of God. How many times have I heard people, and I know our pastor has heard it as well, that come up to you after you preach and say, I, well, I've been praying that same thing. I've been talking to God about that very same thing. That's when we get together in the spirit. We don't have to be in the same room here. We can be in the throne room and experience God together. And so our sense of connection must be defined and ordained through the supernatural power of God, just as it was in the book of Acts. We are a book of Acts church, and so our connection ought to be the same as it was for them. So while we are physically, literally separated by mandate for a time, uh, it's very important that we find that which connected the early believers to one another. We must find that connection. <clears throat> it's crucial that every member of our church and of every apostolic church finds and remains centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you one recommendation right now. Uh, besides praying, turn off everything on the news about COVID-19, stop filling your soul and your mind and your spirit with everything there is to know about this particular pandemic. Praise God. And I believe if we will mutually find wherever you are, you will find and occupy the center that we will emerge from this a stronger church and a stronger people than we have ever been before and more united than we have ever been before. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 19. If you would turn there with me, I would appreciate it. <clears throat> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. This has nothing to do with your environment. This has nothing to do with your circumstances. In fact, it is in spite of these things. It's in spite of your environment and your circumstances. 
the things that oppose the kingdom of God in this world and the things that oppose the working of God's spirit in your life. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that she might be filled with all the fullness of God. When we speak of being rooted and grounded, we normally think of it as being rooted and grounded in doctrine or being rooted and grounded in the truth. But this is not the context within which Paul makes this statement. His words, not mine, that we should be rooted and grounded in love. So all things relating to God's kingdom and to faith is rooted within the foundation of love. Everything is tied to that. Everything is connected to that. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He said, This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. For those of you who think that love has nothing to do with our present circumstances, that love has absolutely nothing to do with what we are enduring in this pandemic, I want you to look at what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 4 and 18. I want you that are out there watching this. I want you to read it out loud. There is no fear in love. I know I'm preaching to somebody that's wringing your hands. You don't know what's going to happen to your 401K or your stock portfolio or anything else for that matter. There is no fear in love. It's powerful. But perfect love casteth out fear. God's going to do something over the next few minutes. He's going to cast some things out of us. Perfect love is going to cast out fear. Why? Because fear has torment. It doesn't work to faith. It doesn't operate with God. It has no place in the kingdom of God. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Man, I could go on about that. There's some things the Spirit of God is dropping in my mind even right now, but we don't have time. We'll deal with it later. But when we as believers understand that love conquers everything, you want to know how to win the battle? You got to fall in love. That's how we're going to win the battle. Love can overcome envy. Love will overcome jealousy. Love will overcome hatred. Love will overcome malice. And love will overcome fear. And all that junk is just a result of fear to begin with. Afraid people won't like me. Afraid they won't look up to me. Afraid they won't respect me. It's envy and jealousy and strife. And, and the love of God will clear all of that junk out. Paul said we must be rooted and grounded in love. 
in the 18th verse again of Ephesians 3, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul wrote that this unyielding and all-encompassing love will enable us to comprehend something, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of God and of his magnificent kingdom. Come on, church. We need a revelation of God. We need a re- we rely on, we believe in one God. Yeah, I get that. But we need a revelation of the magnitude of God. We need a revelation of the kingdom of God, especially today. So it is, it seems that God reveals his glory and the magnificence of his kingdom and power to those who love him. To those who love him. So that it will enable them to comprehend the dimensions and the full expanse of him and his kingdom. There's a reason why that this is important. When the Greek scriptures were translated into English, the Greek word katalambano was translated into the word comprehend. But it doesn't mean what we think that it means. It doesn't mean what we have believed it to mean in the English language. What it means is that we will fully understand or we will we will come to understand something about the kingdom of God, the width and the breadth and height and depth. And so Catalambano means to apprehend, apprehend. Have you ever been in a situation? You wanted to explain some things to somebody that wasn't saved, but you realize what you knew about God could not be put into language. You can't put it into words. How do you describe what it feels like to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues? What does it feel like to go down in water in the name of Jesus and come up a brand new person? Sin's forgiven. It doesn't mean you're going to understand it all or be able to put it into language or terms, but it means that you will apprehend it. You will attain it. You will obtain it, and, and, and you will find it. And so the greatest minds among us, and trust me, I am not one of them, the greatest minds in the world understand very little about the finite world in which we live. They understand and know even less about the universe that God created. We cannot even comprehend the distance from this earth to the nearest star. Who can comprehend light years? The distance that light travels in one year. Much less understand the vastness of God and his matchless and immeasurable kingdom. But through this unyielding and all-encompassing love that we experience through the Holy Ghost and through the grace of God. We understand that we are part of a kingdom that far exceeds this natural world within which we live. The kingdom of God is bigger than all of this. The kingdom of God is greater than all of this. And you that are sitting out there pining away, wondering what's going to happen tomorrow or next week, you got to understand, come on, God's kingdom is bigger than this. The hope that this establishes within us should be more than sufficient 
to carry us through our present adversity and distress. But why is this so important in our present crisis? Because once you comprehend the breadth, the depth, the height, and the length of God and of his magnificent kingdom, you'll never be overcome with fear and anxiety again. Anytime the world is threatened, come on, anytime this world is under threat, we're a part of a kingdom that's bigger than this world. Once you are a part of the infinite, the devil can never threaten you by taking the finite away again. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, who are kept by the power of God through faith. It doesn't matter what the Congress does or doesn't do. They don't keep us. They don't sustain us. They don't give us power. They don't give us life. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God wanted me to say that to you because many of his people are feeling disheartened and many of his people are afraid because of current circumstances. But Paul leaves us with yet a greater revelation, and it leads back to where we started, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. How can you explain the unexplainable? How can you measure the immeasurable? How can you put a number on infinity? How can you plot the distance from here to eternity? And so in these times of perplexity and uncertainty, we're constantly reminded, ever reminded of our mortality. But let me remind you of something else. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are aliens from this world. We're going to go somewhere else when all of this passes away. That's why perfect love casts out all fear. Praise God. More than ever, it's important that we keep God at the center of our lives. But this must be done not only daily, but it must be done on an individual basis. We cannot do it corporately. We can try to align things uh, in a Thursday night service or a Sunday service, but it's up to you to keep those things aligned on Monday and throughout the week. Uh, this means that we must establish where the center is. If you're going to maintain God at the center, you're going to have to find out where the center is. 
When Abraham entered into the land of Canaan, he was accompanied by his nephew Lot. As God blessed Abraham with great wealth, he also blessed Lot as well. So the Bible says that Lot had flocks and herds and tents in abundance just as Uncle Abraham had. But then we come to Genesis 13, 6 through 9. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Do you want a biblical example of social distancing? Does anybody here need a Bible example for social distancing? You think this is the first time that it's ever been done? It's not. It happened right there in your Bible. In fact, what we just read is the epitome of social distancing. And the concept is not lost 2,000 years after the birth of the church upon us. For example, 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Here it is. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You see, the problem with COVID-19, it is the most contagious virus that virologists has ever seen before. But that's the way we look at sin. Sin is contagious. So we got to separate ourselves and keep our distance from the world and from worldly people so that sin does not infect us. But it's important within the terms of the social distancing that we are keeping under this national quarantine, that we do not distance ourselves from God. You need to know how to get a hold of God on your own. You need to know how to have a Holy Ghost prayer meeting by yourself in your prayer closet. You need to learn how to pray in the Holy Ghost when nobody else is around. And perhaps, if nothing else, we may emerge from this with a greater ability to do just that. As it turned out, Abraham was Lot's lifeline to God. There's no real significant indication that Lot had any kind of a relationship with God at all. It was his association with, excuse me, Uncle Abraham. And whether you believe it or not, there are modern-day lots in the kingdom of God or in the church. There are people that rely on somebody else's prayer and somebody else's faith and somebody else's anointing to just survive in whatever 
form a relationship with God that they are in. But once Lot was separated from Abraham, he found himself separated from God as well. And without the direction that his connection from Uncle Abraham provided him, he found himself on a path that was leading straight to Sodom. On the other hand, it appears, doesn't appear, it is so, that Lot was holding Abraham back. Church, you can't let modern-day lots hold us back. They'll never give like they're supposed to give. They'll never be faithful in prayer meeting. They'll never be at the early service. They'll only come to the second service. Am I talking to somebody? We can't let them keep us from revival. Because that's what happened to Lot. They held him back from his appointment with destiny. For Genesis 13, 14, after Lot was gone, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes. Now lift them up and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. It was after Lot was separated from him, amen, that God told Abraham, now I can take you on. Now I can pour out my blessing on you. Now I can really reveal my will and your destiny to you. He led Abraham to a place that was in the absolute perfect center of his will. In fact, Abraham was so centered in God's will that the Lord told him, go ahead and lift up your eyes. It don't matter what direction you go in. It doesn't matter if you go north or south, east or west. I am with you and I will give you the land when you're in the middle of God's will, it don't matter where you go. God is with you. Being in the center of God's will means that anything that happens to you, no matter what it is, will lead you to the fulfillment of God's promises. Put another way, when you discover the center of God's will, there isn't anything that can prevent you from your destiny. So you think all of this is going on, is preventing us. No, it is driving us to our knees. It is bringing us closer to our destiny than we were two weeks ago. Verse 15 says, For all the land which thou seest, God's still speaking to Abraham, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Wow, to us that speaks of revival. Then he said, arise. I've been praying that the Spirit will come upon God's people to arise right now. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So who is Lot to us? Lot represents the kingdoms of the world. 
in this particular story. Abraham represents the kingdom of God. While Lot was on his way to destruction, Abraham was on his way to promise. Right now, we are watching the world as it contracts. The world is contracting. It's contracting economically. You're going to find that when this is over, that some of our liberties that were taken from us are not going to be restored. So while the world is contracting, the kingdom of God is advancing. The world is recoiling in fear and anxiety, but not the church. The world is shaken, but not the people of God. Paul said, none of these things move me. Why did he say that? He had to say it so that other believers would see that the apostle was not moved or afraid by the things that were happening in their day. Daniel chapter 11, 32, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt with flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The proverb emphatically declares in 3 and 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's where it's important that we have the love of God in us so that we can comprehend things that are beyond our understanding. We know that he is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can think or ask. According to the power that works in heaven, uh uh-uh. According to the power that worketh in us. It's in us. God's redemptive power is in his people. It's not in this building. It's in the people of God. And I know how we are. We have a tendency to trust in the, the economy and what the economy can provide us. The economic foundations of the world right now are crumbling, but we're built on the foundation of God's word. We're not built on the foundation of Wall Street. We're built on the foundation of God's word. You say, well, you can talk big from the pulpit, but what if all your money goes away? Listen, I'm in the same boat you're in. We're going to talk about that boat in a few minutes. But God is my refuge and my strength and my present help in trouble. He got me through the first 70 years of my life. I'm pretty sure he can get me the rest of the way. So the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away. Mark 13, 31, but my word shall not pass away. Come on, you can watch CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox. You can work it all. You can get all them words in your soul, get all down in the dumps and depressed, but those words are not going to get you to heaven. But the word of God will endure forever. I'm just telling you, you got to turn that junk off. But what happens when the unsaved are stripped of their normal? The normal is taken away. 
and you don't have to wonder about it anymore. You are seeing it happen right before your eyes. They fall into fear and chaos and despair and uncertainty. But when the redeemed are stripped of their normal, what do we do? We, re we revolt to the supernatural power of God. We find a place to hunker down and pray until the Spirit of God comes upon us and relieves us of our human fear and anxiety. God is calling the church to do what Abraham did after Lot was separated from him, Genesis 13 and 18, when Abram, then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. He built an altar. He built an altar. My Lord, he didn't go count his sheep to make sure Lot didn't mistakenly take some of them. <laughs> he didn't go count his herds or his servants. He didn't have roll call for all his servants. Wanted somebody went off with Lot thinking he served him better, but he built an altar unto the Lord. You see, if you want to know where the center is, it's where the altars are built. Anybody here remember merry-go-rounds? The centrifugal force make you dizzy, but you could get right in the center of that thing, and there was no centrifugal force at all. And that's where we need to find in all of this, the center of it all. You may think I'm overreacting. I don't believe that I am. Uh, you may think that I'm overstating potential repercussions of this pandemic. I don't believe that I am. When Abraham died... The promises that God had made to him were to be passed first through Isaac, of course, not through Ishmael or any of the other children he had with Keturah after Sarah died, specifically through Isaac, and then, of course, through Isaac's progenitors, which would be uh, turn out to be Jacob. Should have been Esau. He was the firstborn. Other story for another time. It was to pass to his children, of course, and to his grand children. Uh, if you want to leave something to your children and to your grandchildren, leave them with a strong apostolic heritage. I prayed something in the Holy Ghost this morning. I have never prayed. I pray just about every day. I Maybe I miss once in a while, but for the most part, every day I pray for our prodigals. I call them by name. Uh, some of them I've never met before. Uh, I pray for John, for Aaron and Alex, and for Kurt, Sister McAvoy's son, for Sean Simmons, and for Sister Marie's son, Tony. Uh, I pray for Philip, the Fry's son, and I pray for Gordon, is a prodigal. It's such a burden for him. And this morning I prayed that the anointing that is upon their parents would begin to come upon them. Huh, that's what I felt too. That the anointing of their parents would become to settle upon them and that that would be what draws them back unto the house of God. As it was, Jacob was struggling with his own identity as some of our prodigal sons and daughters are right now. He struggled with his purpose and why he was born uh, into the family he was born into. And uh, he steals the birthright from Esau. 
I know it was a valid business deal, but really he took advantage of his brother's hunger. Uh, he deceives his father uh, into giving him the blessing that was reserved for the firstborn. And because of his misdeeds, uh, he had to flee from Esau's anger. But because Abraham had discovered and built an altar in the center of God's will, he left Jacob with something that was more valuable than his wealth. It was more valuable than whatever material blessings came under the firstborn. He left him with a legacy, a legacy. And the first night that Jacob was away from home, he is still a supplanter and a deceiver. His heart is, is not right with God. He really doesn't even uh, agree or like the, the things that were taught him about his spiritual heritage. In the first night, as he leaves, he's barely on his journey. And during the night, you know he has a dream. He sees the ladder and angels going up and down and God up at the top of the ladder. And in Genesis 28 and 14, God speaks to this boy that's on his way, or young man, away from God and his heritage. He says to him, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Because Abraham found that center. Jacob stumbled on it, not by accident, but by divine providence and by the promises that God had made to Grandpa Abraham. Our young people are not going to get where we are on their own. They're going to need us to keep the faith. They're going to need us to keep praying in the Spirit to keep living holy, separate, and godly lives. Praise God. And so the church building, musicians, you can join me on the platform. I didn't say I'm done. I just said you can join me on the platform. <laughs> the church building is temporarily, everybody out there say temporarily. This is not forever. Temporarily closed, but guess what? The throne room is still open. Corporate worship, which we love so much, is off limits for a while, but not personal devotion. And so maintaining a definitive center with God in the middle is where we must abide through the present course that is set before us. And I've said many times through the years, we have no idea what we're going to see, experience, and endure before the coming of the Lord. And if this is shaking our faith, there's something wrong. Our children and our grandchildren are depending on us. My God. When it comes to a deluge, we're familiar, I believe, with the word of God where it says it rains on the just 
and the unjust. I've noticed that there are no other apostolics on my street, but when it gets dry, my grass turns brown just like everybody else's. And when it starts to rain, it greens up just like everybody else's. When the heat of summer's sun begins to scorch the earth and people begin to complain about the heat and humidity of southwest Florida, we are not exempt from that, church, even though we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's just as hot for us as it is for everybody else. Although we are not of the world, we are in the world, at least for the moment. And so when the storms of life come, and they will come, and they do come, we are not immune from the damage that they leave behind. We find a perfect example of this in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. A ship was sailing on the Adriatic Sea, got caught in a fierce storm, and after many days, it would be wrecked upon the rocks right off of the island. I believe it was Melita. Don't hold me to that. A small island. It so happened that the apostle Paul was aboard that ship. You would think now, Paul's on board. God, you can hold the storm off till he reaches <coughs> where he's going. But the storm came just the same. Somewhat like the prophet Jonah, except saints of God, Jonah was going away from the will of God. Paul was going toward the will of God. And yet a fierce storm found Paul just like it found Jonah. Praise God. So I think it would be foolish for us to think that just because he was an apostle in this ship that's in great despair, toiling in the sea, that the endless darkness and the fierce winds and the unrelenting waves of the sea would have no effect on him, that he would be down below in his hammocks just sipping iced tea, enjoying the journey. Likewise, it would be foolish to suggest that just because we are God's people, that we're impervious to the dangers and the repercussions of this global pandemic. We can learn something from Paul. And this is the consummation of what I want to bring to you today. Paul was an authority when it comes to suffering. He was an authority on tribulation. An authority on this stuff. Now, I, I, I wouldn't mind being an authority on something other than that. But Paul was an authority. You want to know about it? Go read what he wrote about suffering and what he went through and endured. So after many days on the ship being caught in the vortex of this Eurachlodon, when all hope was lost that they might be saved, Paul had a word from God for the men on the ship. Here's what he said in Acts 27 beginning in verse 22. Now, remember, it's howling, it's loud. He had to shout that they could barely hear him. Now, I exhort you to be of good comfort. And they're rolling their eyes. And, what is this guy, nuts? Be of good comfort. Are you crazy? For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God 
hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Ha. Huh. I got a word for y'all that's in this ship. Praise God. Because this is what you need to know. Just because an angel of God showed up didn't mean that the wind stopped blowing. Just because God showed up didn't mean that the sea stopped tossing that ship to and fro. You see, we're praying God show up and end this. No, just God show up and don't worry about the rest of it. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. Come on, church. They comfort me. God didn't say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to get rid of the darkness. I'm going to get rid of the torment of the fear. I'm going to bring light. No, he said, you got to walk through this. you got to go through this to get where I'm going to take you. But I am with you always. I will never leave or forsake you. God was with David, and God was with Paul. And Paul found in this storm what David found in his valley. And it would serve you well to find this same thing today. And what was it that Paul discovered in the midst of his storm? He found that that we've been talking about this whole time. He found the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that means it doesn't make any sense. It defies my circumstances. It defies all possibilities of what might happen to me or happen to us. It doesn't make any sense. There is no common sense to it. Amen. But he found the peace of God that passes understanding. What Paul discovered is something that Floridians Floridians are familiar with. Never been in one, but I'm familiar with it. It's called the eye of the storm. And where is the eye of a storm? It's in the center. No matter where that storm goes, the eye moves with it. No matter where that storm goes, the eye stays right with it. And I thought when I was preparing, if you could get into the eye of a storm and move at the same rate of speed, you just move until the storm dissipates and then go home. Right? Yeah. So who volunteers for that? Ray Stevenson wrote a song. I know you've heard it before. It's entitled Eye of the Storm. And its words are so uh, relative. He says, in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future. I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I Find peace in Jesus' name. If you were here, I'd ask you to stand to not so that you know by those words that I am 
at the conclusion of what I feel God has sent me here to say to you. And I know that you hear me. I know that you hear me. But I want to say to you, this is no time for the summer soldier or for the sunshine apostolic patriot. Naha, no way. It's time for men and women of God to find the eye in the storm and dwell in the presence and peace of Almighty God, steadfast, unmovable, until this storm passes and we can open our doors and welcome the lost into our church. Near the waters of our baptistry, we can welcome them into the presence of God again and deliver this soul-saving gospel as has been committed into our hands. May you worship as the worship team leads us in a final song. All these words can be cemented within our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. No other God can be called. Come on, saint of God, rise up. Come on, saint, get up. Get out of the doldrums. Cast off the spirit of depression. Lift up your hands and say, My God is able to take me through the storm.
Come on, we say thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, saints, everything is going to be all right. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. This concludes our live streaming service for Sunday afternoon. We're so glad you're with us. Pray that the blessings of God will be upon you as you endure this particular crisis. This too shall pass, as they say. And God's going to use it to bring his church to their knees in prayer. Great things are coming our way. God bless you in Jesus' name.